I'm Andy Vinker, and this is Fit Pro Radio. Whether you're a fitness veteran or novice, this podcast is for you. I hope to share the good, the bad, and the real to help you fast track your career and help you find fulfillment and passion in the fitness industry. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Fit Pro Radio. I'm Andy, and I'm super excited to introduce our host today. This is a huge honor for me, um, just because this is somebody I very much look up to. Let me just say, when I first started this podcast, I wrote down a list of all my dream guests, and I've been so blessed to be able to have a lot of them on this show, but this was probably, you're probably my number one, and I'm not even just saying that. <laughs> no, probably, you are. And so this is a this was a pipe dream for me, and I'm just extremely honored that you would take time to be here. Um, I'm like shaky and emotional um, just because you've been such a powerful influence in my own fitness career. Um, And so I'm going to introduce our guest. This is Dan Cohen. Dan Cohen is a Les Mills program director, and he's on the creative team for Les Mills. He is a speaker and a communication coach. He's a master's in IVC, NLP, TLT, and a hypnosis coach, and most importantly, a father and a husband. Um, do you want to tell us all the things about you? I'm just, I'm just like, I want to hear all the things that you have to share all about you and everything else. <laughs> well, thank you very much. That was, that was such a wonderful piece there. And congratulations on your little one. Thank you. As well. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, well, look, you covered a really good base there. You you mentioned some things that are really passionate about, uh, you know, what I have in my life. So yes, there's there's the creative side of Les Mills and the programs and the product, but there's also uh, what I have really come to love in the last sort of eight to 10 years. And that's with regards to coaching and understanding the layers of coaching and how people work and how and why people are successful in the study of that. Really, that's what NLP is. And then, um, yeah, being a husband and a daddy, I've got three little girls and uh, that takes up a lot of my time. So thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> yeah. And they are so cute. It makes it makes it really fun when you share like, you know, parts of your life on Instagram. It's very cool to connect. Um, so I'm really excited to have you here um, for a lot of reasons. But one, like I said, you're a huge hero of mine. But then too, because I feel like you have so much value. There's something really cool that happens. Um, So like I said, the first time I ever saw you teach was when I certified or became a licensed instructor for CX Works, which I think is now called CORE. Um, And I remember watching you teach and it felt like I was in the class. And this was years ago. And I just remember I had to like stop learning the choreography and just watch. And I'm like, did I just teleport into this room (laughs) with all these incredible instructors? Um, And then like, I just remember being so inspired the way it was my first ever um, format that with speaking verbal cueing, I came from Zumba. And so it was so easy to want to learn to speak and to teach the way you and the other instructors did. Um, And I just remember feeling like, I want to be able to create this environment for my classes. How can I do that? And so I started to break it down, watch. And even now I teach body combat and I'm like, okay, so he says like, 
yeah, like here, I'm like, should I do that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but I feel like there's so many different layers when it comes to cueing, so many different components that we need to master outside of teaching before we can take that to our classroom. What would you say about that? Certainly some elements of that are completely factual and others, it could come across as, so do I need to have that in my back pocket before I step on the stage? Yeah. And my answer is the most important element about a program with Les Mills is the exercise movement, is the base pattern, so the choreography. And if at the very, very minimum, you teach the choreography in the way that it is layered, you're already sort of 60, 70% in the workout and people are moving and they're following successfully. Then our role as coaches, as teachers, is to then build on what that choreography can offer. And so, for example, if the movement pattern is slow, we know that we have to use a certain linguistic dialogue to keep people moving slow with control and it might have precision or it might have stability or it might be a strength focus and then once we start seeing a level of success i.e people moving at the same time to the rhythm of the <laughs> then we can start adding in other cues that enhance their movement or adding in cues that motivate them to enhance their movement or give lots of praise and encouragement so people feel really connected to the movement or the music or to the experience and or the environment. And so if at the very least you take away from that, if I just know my stuff, and so the preparation before you stand on stage doesn't necessarily need to know and master the words that you're going to say, but if you know the movement sequence, you know the choreography, you are really quite um, far ahead in your journey. It's a very good place to start. Yeah, and even knowing the music I think is so important. I feel like my kids cool. like sing all the songs with me before I ever take them to my class. Um, and I think just because I want to know it so deeply um, that it's like in my dreams, <laughs> but then also mm. so that way when I'm in front of a class and I'm trying to reach out and connect to them individually, I am so connected to the music that I know better how to deliver to according to their needs. Yeah. So what are some things that you have maybe experienced in your time? Do you have any experiences that you'd like to share maybe of maybe when you were first beginning your teaching experiences versus now? Like if you looked back at like baby Dan, how, tell us how long you've been teaching. Sure. Uh, so 25 years yeah. now and 22 of them have been with the Les Mills programs. Wow. Uh, I think what I really did in the early days that I would say is still very much connected now is the look and see model that I have. And that is really look out and see what I'm seeing. And so we think about four quadrants in front of us. So we have the front row, we have <laughs> the back row, and then we have the sides that to have every single person doing the same thing in the same way is almost impossible because everybody has a different level of experience, fitness, different demographic in the room. And so when we look out, let's take an opportunity and see what's going on. And I think that's really stood the test of time from baby Dan, from early Dan <laughs> to now. 
and it's and it carries a lot of weight. And so what that means is is that you take an opportunity to um, let's say let's pause presenting. So pause the scripting, pause the putting on the certain mask and or be stepping into a certain character and actually looking out to your audience look out to your audience and see what it is that they need because this quadrant over here what are we seeing that we're seeing great movement quality they're not going super intense but we're seeing them moving safe and effectively let's give them some praise and encouragement let's look at the back row you know the back row they're having a great time maybe somebody's on the wrong foot somebody's sort of going up whilst everybody else is going down it's okay, let's give them some more cues that they can then master the movement and the rhythm pattern because we know it's gonna give them a high level of success. Let's look at the other wing. The other wing, they're just going super, super hard. They're just doing everything they want in their own way. Hey, let's just <laughs> give them a thumbs up as long as they're super safe. And the front row, you've got like a mixed bag. And so you might need to use some of the previous cues that you've done from around the room and bring them to the center focus as well. And so all of that, is um, incredibly important for a high level of success in any class of everyday class. Take an opportunity to look, see, and then coach to what it is that you're seeing. And just know what you had planned on saying, I'm gonna say this beautiful cue, or I'm gonna say this thing that's gonna get the entire crowd going. It may not be appropriate to say that there and then, but keep it in your back pocket because at some point in the class, you may pour that out. And so. That's quite an organic thing to do is go as prepared as you can for a mixed bag of people in your class. That's the realest bit of advice I can give. I love that. And I think it's really important. Like, I think we talk a lot about that here is just, you don't know your class unless you're watching them, you know? And like you said, there's so many different people in each and every class that to be able to deliver that magical experience to them we can't plan every single thing. Like we have to know that it's going to be complicated and different every single time because people are complicated and different. And we want to be able to reach each and every one of them. And something that I know that I strive for in my classes is not only to connect and motivate them, but to make sure that they know I see them. And so they want to come back. I feel like that is such a huge and important aspect of group fitness is that people come for community and movement and to be seen because maybe they're not seen outside right yeah and so anytime that you can validate that anytime that you can make somebody feel connected whether it's they're connected to the music connected to the exercise connected to the environments so of the people around them connected to the program and or the brand connected to themselves anytime somebody feels connected with something they're going to have a good time. In fact, I don't know anybody that once I've made them smile doesn't feel good about themselves. <laughs> right? True. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to take it back, pull back and rewind, and let's revisit Baby Dan. What inspired you to begin in this journey? Like what brought you to group fitness out of all the things? Sure. It's a question I get asked a lot in interviews. Really? And it's, uh, you yeah, don't have to answer it. <laughs> well, no, no, that's fine. Because because the answer usually stuns people. And that was, I actually didn't want to get into group fitness. Really? It, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't something for me. It was, it was like an accidental thing. So um, after leaving high school, which from memory, I don't even know if I even finished, but um, <laughs> you know, I think I left a year before I was supposed to. 
And, um, and I didn't really have any great qualifications. I went and worked with some cousins of mine and I was, I became a diamond setter. I was setting diamonds in rings by trade. And, and uh, a friend of mine said, look, why don't, why don't we, you know, get into this, this fitness gig? Because at the time I was fighting, I was, I was doing um, amateur fighting. I was doing boxing. I was doing kickboxing. I was doing Muay Thai and I was mm. doing competitions sort of every weekend, every other weekend, once a month. And I was very active in the fitness fighting environment, but sort of teaching group fitness. And back then in, in my mind, aerobics, you know, jazzercise and, <laughs> and things like step class. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Like it wasn't a thing for me. And so I, I went to the university of Westminster um, not to, not to study anything other than it was like an open day. And there was three opportunities that arose there and then. And one was to become a firefighter. The other one was to work on the oil rigs. And the last one was to be an aerobic instructor slash gym instructor. And the one that appealed to me right there and then was to be an oil rig worker, just because they earned really good money. Yeah. I, I would travel a wee bit in and around Europe. I'd be gone for a period of time and come back. And I had no ties to anywhere or anyone or anything to do. I was a young teenager and this was something that appealed to me, the, the money. Mm -hmm. And I literally missed the boat, the, you know, <laughs> pun intended. The boat had sailed out. And so to be an oil rig worker, I would have had to wait something. Because I think they do something like six weeks on, 10 days off. It's just, wow. it, well, back then it was quite a strange thing. So the other thing was become a firefighter or an aerobic instructor. And when I spoke to um, one of the ladies there at the time, you could do what was called moonlighting. And that was, I could become an aerobic instructor slash gym instructor, and I could moonlight as a firefighter or the other way around. And it was, well, what was the thing that was the least amount of work or the least amount of qualification at that time to give me some money right now? And so I said, oh, okay, I'll do this aerobics thing. And then it was a real smack in the face. I thought, oh my gosh, what have I signed up for? <laughs> so I did, I did this exercise to music course. Um, it was like a two week course and intensive. I had to turn up at sort of 7.30 a.m. and stay till 5 p.m. every day for two weeks. Then I got assessed. And then that, that sort of opened up a bit of a doorway for me into strength and conditioning, into personal training, time served and time spent with inside gyms. I worked for eight to 10 gyms where I took my push bike and I went around all these different gyms and I was either doing a gym instructor shift, personal training, or I was teaching quite um, a large um, variety of group fitness, everything from aqua aerobics to dance aerobics to circuit training. Um, and then there was this thing called pump or body pump by Les Mills, which <laughs> came over in the late nineties. And back then this was in England. Uh, and, uh, and so I did that and, you know, that was, that was 22 years ago, give or take. And here we are now. Wow. So any yeah. regrets missing the boat? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no, no, it has been quite the journey because the, you know, the journey ended up, um, me, um, being able to apply and granted the job as the program director in. 2004 after I came on board in 1998 and so moving to New Zealand and meeting my wife and having my children and living the life that I do and, and the experiences 
you know, later on, I found out was God's path. You know, it was there was an opportunity, and I sort of went, "Eeny, meeny, miny." Oh, I'm drawn to that one. Let me do that one, and I've stayed true and loyal to the industry ever since. Yeah, I love that. I think each one of us are kind of pulled. A lot. I know a lot of fitness instructors that are brought by fit to fitness, not on purpose. Most fitness instructors, I don't think, plan to grow up to be a fitness instructor. But something has called them or pulled them into that direction. And it's amazing to see like when we follow that, like how many people you impact, the change that we see in ourselves, the community that we grow. So I love, that is so cool. It like just goes to show my theory is correct. (laughs) Yeah. And it was, you know, and and in those early days, um, it was incredibly challenging because in the United Kingdom, back in the 90s and and the 2000s, trying to earn money as a standard group fitness instructor was incredibly challenging. You know, really? um, the, the pay, the pay was awful. The pay was, I remember, I think the, the least amount of money I got for one class was nine pounds 50, which was, which was nothing. And I think the most I got um, was about 60 pound. And that was later on in life, you know, well over a decade later when I, when I stepped into the presenter scene. Wow. Um, and so I was teaching 30 to 32 classes a week every week you know across those eight to ten gyms and it was it was it was really hard work it was quite demotivating you know having to ride a push bike because I didn't have a car at the time in in the rain in the snow just to teach another class to then get changed to go to another gym and and just sort of keep repeating these repeating that cycle for many years I did that it was um but but I grew to love it like I, I became really passionate about it, I think is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And, and I, as much as I didn't enjoy going from gym to gym in that, in that weather, but I enjoyed the people and I enjoyed the classes and I enjoyed supporting and helping people on their fitness journey, whether it was sort of mental health, whether it was physical change, body composition, whether it was giving you know, nutritional advice, whatever it might be to be a part, a part of that. And the classes were busy. They yeah. were really, really busy. I had this one, this one class. It was called, it was at the Leverhead Ledger Center, right? And I had to pay something like 16 pound to hire the hall. There was like a like a basketball hall or a five-a-side mm-hmm. soccer hall for an hour. I had to pay them 16 pound 50. And I would charge three pound per person. I used to get about 200 people rock up. And I used to wow. have this big pin and I would give them a little ticket um, once they gave me their three pound. And then I would go and sit on this seat behind the curtain. <laughs> they would come behind the, they would come. So I, the behind the curtain was the entrance to the room. And then after I've given them the ticket, they would then give me the ticket back. So I would have my book, my book of tickets back. And which would correspond with the number that I wrote down on a pen and paper on a pad, ticked that off, knew that I had their money and then they came. And so, yeah, that was, that was, so I made it, I, what was, I made it financially good for me really early on. And so I had two really big drivers. It was a good opportunity to earn a living at the same time. I was really passionate about helping these people and seeing them on their journey. And those two sort of worked hand in hand. Yeah, it was fantastic. That's amazing. And so much, and you have to have loved it to be able to even like go to that space that be like, I'll open up my own thing, bring people to me. (laughs) That's a huge deal. That's a Mm. huge deal. So now that we know 
what brought you and that you stayed. Have you ever had any big fitness influences that have driven and like kind of brought you to how you teach now? Or is it all your own experiences or is it mishmash of both, would you say? Yeah, good question. Well, in the early days, everybody needs a mentor or, or, or a support person or someone that would give some level of advice that creates a stirring sensation deep down inside of us that makes us feel inspired, makes us feel like something is tingling. And there was this gentleman called Anwar. And now he's in his 60s and he's a natural bodybuilder. And back then he was this Palestinian, really sort of tough ex-Muay Thai guy um, and full of life. And what I really loved about him more than anybody else that was, that was able to influence me at that time is that people looked up to him not because of his fitness accolades, but just because he created this incredible sort of... Um, family unit so I, i'll use the word community but it really did feel like a family unit inside the gym so literally the moment you walk through the door whether it was how he had coached the front desk to make you feel welcome right the way through to the gym instructors giving you a sort of a big thumbs up or a pat on the back if you were doing sets and reps in the gym or the personal trainers walking past you congratulating you or the group fitness instructors making you feel like it doesn't matter if you were doing group fit or personal training or just rocking up for a swim or a sauna or a spa that you felt really welcome and he was the manager of of the facility at the time um and we kept in touch and then um and then uh we sort of went our separate ways and we're back in touch with each other we have been for a while and i always like to see where he's at right now and to what I can see, he's still doing the same thing. He is a, a tried and tested product that you make people feel good about themselves. They'll keep coming back. And he was a really big influence for me in the early days. Um, and then, of course, the, the, the likes of the Pete Manuels, the Steve Renata, the Emma Barriers, you know, some of the original Famous Five that really got out there in the early days that brought Les Mills to the world. They were hugely influencing then. And then as of late, um, I've done a lot of work outside of the industry to be able to, I guess, reinvent myself, certainly yeah. from a coaching perspective and how I show up on the stage. And that in itself is quite influential because it's one of those things where I can say, what can I do organically for myself and how can I inspire others? And so that's, so I'm in, I'm in that headspace and mindset right now and, um, that's very rewarding. Yeah. And I think it's awesome too, that you, that you mentioned that, because I think it's important for all of us to know that we can expand ourselves, whether it's just, we know not just, but whether it's in fitness or other ways, like, like we said in your bio, you do hypnosis, you do speaking, you like being able to reach people in that way. Absolutely. I have no doubt strengthens your ability as as how you show up on stage when in front of a fitness class and then vice versa, bringing the energy, bringing the power of your language, I think is, is super cool to see how that would also like complement. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And so for all our fitness instructors listening, you can totally expand yourself. It doesn't have to just be in fitness. It can be in any way that makes you feel more powerful and more like you can shine a little brighter using different skills. 
Mm. <laughs> and so now let's go back to your cueing. So now that we know that language is your thing and, and we know that what brought you to here, what built you, what do you think you have done in your time to create the confidence and skill to be able to bring the Dan Cohen we have today onto either stage, your speaking stage or your other things, as well as the fitness Les Mills stage? Sure. Words are really powerful. They can stir up many different emotions to, the, to your audience. And I am mindful and purposeful, and I am specific with the dialogue I use in certain scenarios. Because ultimately, there is an external objective. And so within inside the group fitness environment, my external objective is to have everybody moving with a very high level of success and to then walk away with a, with a singular mindset. And that is, this was the very best decision I have ever made. And so let me break that down because often some people might say, my external objective is for them to have the time of their life. My, ex my external objective is them to have the very best workout. My external objective is for them to really be able to add more weight to the bar, whatever it might be. And they're all great external objectives and also internal objectives. The thing around the very best decision that I could ever possibly make, I think is a real powerful one. And so I, you could ask the same question to your listeners, right? And that is, um, why would they buy an item of clothing? Why would they purchase a car? Why are they going to a certain destination? Regardless of what it is, if at the point of sale, if at the point where they hand over their hard earned money and they are absolutely convinced, there is a convinced strategy that has them leaving that transaction, this was the very best decision I could ever make. That is incredibly self driven it is powerful and so if each of my audience participants leave that class with that in mind not only do i know that they'll keep coming back but it's going to have a real sort of a domino effect on other areas in their life because why have they come to the class because they love the class they love the presenter or the instructor they love meeting their friends there or the community is it because they want to change their body composition is it because they want to de-stress is there something going on in their life like we don't, we don't really know unless we actually ask those questions, right? Mm -hmm. But if they can leave with that very best decision, is that's incredibly powerful. And so I know that I need to use a language that speaks that because that's my external objective. And so halfway through a particular move or choreography, or as the song's building, or the chorus is crescendoing, or there's a big climactal, there's a theatrical thing going on. I know that if I use certain sentence structures, certain words that match what is going on, because don't forget, I'm still looking and I'm still seeing and I'm using all of this to create a certain journey. Now, if it's done in a certain way at the right time, I know, I know that I've, I've reeled somebody in or I've reeled them all in. And I know because they either vocally do it or they non-vocally do it. So there's verbal, verbal language and non-verbal language. They're telling me with their body, with their eyes, with their face, with their smiles. They're telling me with their intensity and their movements. Or they are telling me because they've just come up and they've gone, 
oh my gosh, that changed my world. That changed my life. That was the best thing I ever did. That's really set me up for the day. And so words and cueing at the right time is incredibly important. And the only way to really nail that is to get it wrong. Tell me more. Yeah, because you've got to come up with a bunch of dialogue in, in a certain way and experience the wrong way. And so if I, if I think about sensory acuity and I, the sensory acuity for us and also for the people in front of us, it doesn't matter your environment. It doesn't matter whether you're speaking one-on-one or to a group of people. People are going to be learning audio. They're going to be learning visually. We sort of move away from olfactory and gustatory from a learning experience, even though that's an emotive experience. And so we move now into the kinesthetic. So things that's going to make them feel. And then there's this sixth sense and we call it AD. And that's audio digital. And they're the conversations we have in our mind. And so I could ask you, how many times this week alone have you had a certain conversation in your mind before the event has even happened? And it might sound a little, (laughs) there we go. So so if they say that, I'm going to say this, or if that thing happens, I'm going to, you know, or post the event, you've said you've had a conversation in your mind. Oh my gosh, why did I let that happen? Or, oh, why did it not go the, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's very, very natural for everybody. And so I know from an audio stimulus, from a visual stimulus, from a feeling kinesthetic spin- stimulus and all this dialogue, the conversation they're going to be having in their own minds, I know that I need to stimulate that somehow. And if I can stimulate all of them at the same time, at least once or twice in a conversation with someone, that's incredibly powerful for them that leads them closer to my external objective which i know is going to serve them positively this was the best decision i have ever made i.e your listener is listening right now and there's something that we have said whether it's in your questioning or something that i've said in my answers that they're sitting there right now going i never thought of it that way or i knew i was thinking of the right way and that's just confirmation that i am on the right path and so, yes, it's the best decision you've ever made. Wow. I, I just, I want to hear more. I want to know more of how you have gotten to that point that you can practice that, like channel in, into that. How do you tap into that ability to reach them? Do you practice things ahead of time? Do you script out what you're going to say? Um, because I feel like anytime we've tried to just wing it, you're like, I'm going to say something really inspirational, probably because it's a really good song. And I've totally had things and I've said it and I'm like, that was a huge mistake. I did not land at all. <laughs> and okay, I feel so like we all do that. So tell me all the things. Sure. Well, let me ask you then, because you've just highlighted what I said. And so you yeah. made a mistake. What did you do post mistake? I like immediately after. I'm like, hours later, I regretted it. That's what I did. But immediately after, I tried to look back out into what they were doing, what I tried to read them better. And so that way I knew how to follow up. Maybe I needed to tone down the need, the like desire to be inspiring and let them connect to the music. And so instead I like redirected it to, okay, feel the music building and now we go kind of thing instead of trying to just keep talking because I totally do that (laughs) Mm. and then I just regretted it later it was fine 
Sure. And a lot of, a lot of instructors tend to do it. It's that, it's that awkwardness. It's the, it's to fill the space. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so where one thinks that they're connecting another one might think I'm over, I'm, I'm sort of dialed up. I've dialed up my words right now. And so yeah. really what you've highlighted is trial and error. You really have. Now the difference between say somebody starting out and me experienced is that I just, I just have more trial and error error. Like I have failed more times. I have more errors than a new person. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's really the difference between us. It's just that what I've done is that I have managed to reflect and learn from those errors and then turn them into something that's powerful. And even today I can still come up with something super impulsive, inspirational and it not land the way I intended it to land mm -hmm. because I was too in the moment of the inspiration at the wrong time when I should have been pre-queuing for the next move so as much as everybody went oh, i feel you and my heart pounded and the hairs on my neck stood up and wow i'm so inspired but we're all going wrong right now you know like <laughs> what are we things, doing with our bodies <laughs> yeah you know and so it you know there it's what we what we do learn from trial and error is when to do these things not just how to do them but when to do them in in a way that is palatable for a large audience. Now, of course, the smaller the audience, depending and on the specifics, whether it's a conversation with your partner, with loved ones, with family members, with best friends, whether it's small group training, whether it's large group training or group fitness training, these things, you know, you, you, we have to dial up or dial down and we have to, you know, we have to change somewhat. What I have found for me is that I have identified a certain strength of mine that I know that I can fall back on because I know that it is authentic to me, not necessarily powerful for everybody, but I know it's authentic to me. And because it's authentic to me and it's believable to me, it then is delivered in a genuine way and not in a way that I am acting and that, you know, and, yeah. and so you feel the difference. You absolutely yeah, feel a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And the people in, in the people will respond as well. They'll know that, okay, they're, they're, here, here comes the cheesy line <laughs> or here comes something that, that is really meaningful. And this is where that look and see model in group fitness is really powerful. And so trial and error. And so what I do is I write a lot of information down of, of what I did to have the thing work for it to land. And so I might write down things like, um, uh, congratulated everybody in the room. That was my, that was my one thing. That was my first thing. And then the second thing was I enhanced something, whether I enhanced a movement pattern, whether I, I enhanced range, whether I enhanced a certain feeling or intensity. Of course, I gave that a tick and that all built, that all built a certain level of confidence and success. And so you've got to put on your CC glasses. We talk about this a lot. So you're looking out to your audience. What do they need right now? Do they just need a booster? Do they need confidence or do they need more competence? And so, great. So do we need to give more cues that's going to get people competently moving? Once that happens, do we then put our confidence glasses on, i.e. we can see that they're moving well now, but they're not really committing to it because they feel inhibited or they feel like they're not very good. But you actually do see that they are moving well. And so they need a confidence booster. Okay, cool. And so these are things that I write down that I purposely did 
in a track or across say two or three tracks. So when I did that thing that made everybody go, oh, wow, this is the best decision I've ever made. <laughs> then, then I know that that's something that I can replicate. You know, I may not be able to do it every class, every time, but there was a sequential need. There was a, there was a sequence of, uh, of things that I did that had a great outcome. And equally, I also write down things where I had my trial and error, my mistake. So I said something and all I heard was, <laughs> oh yeah, okay, <laughs> that one fell flat on its face. <laughs> and, so, and so that really is the difference between somebody that's starting out and somebody's experience. Certainly for me, it's that trial and error. It's just that I, I've made a lot more errors than, than other people. And I've learned from that. And I've learned that to really help me be able to produce the things that I'm producing right now. I love that. And you said something that I would love to touch on um, towards the beginning of that. You were saying that you found your strength and you were confident in that. How would you suggest that we, the rest of us as listeners, how do we find that strength? How do we, is it more trial and error? Like your strengths versus, you know, like how do we find that in ourselves? And mm. how did you build confidence in yourself? Sure. Often we actually already know what our strengths are because we are naturally leading or leaning towards them or we deliver from that perspective. And so someone might be a great technician. So they may not be a wonderful wordsmith, but they are technically correct or they feel that they are technically correct. And so they teach and coach from a technical perspective. And so the dialogue is about movement quality, movement enhancements, movement range, movement outcome, and maybe not so much on looking out and connecting and making people feel intrinsically motivated or um, feel very much connected to a communal feel. And so when, when one know that they are coaching or delivering from a place of strength, I would say pause that because you're always going to come back to that. And so there's, there is this conversation about work on your weaknesses and not on your strengths because your strengths are already there. I think always deliver, start everything from a place of strength. Have a winning beginning from a place of strength. Have a closing from a place of strength. Find a, a multiple opportunities in your workout or in the class or in your delivery where you do deliver from your place of strength because that's going to hold you steadfast. That's what you're really good at. So you should always do that. And then find moments where you want to try things that you don't always do very well. So for years, I was the technician. I wasn't a great connector because I was like, why are we here to have fun? We're here to work hard. I come from a fighting background, purist background. Come on, work harder. Get your nose down closer to the ground. Come on. You know, if, if, you, if you're not kissing the floor, you're not doing a push-up. So, you know, I, I, I had this sort of, you know, this, you know, military mentality, you know, and if you weren't very good, you know, then you sucked. You know, I didn't really have a lot of praise and encouragement. And then I learned that that didn't serve me well. But to this day, I can still switch the gear into that strength of technical and intense and push and mastery, because I know that I can also do it from a place of inspiration, both physically, but also be able to vocally get everybody moving to that place. And so a lot of people, they already know what their strengths are and be honest with yourself, write this stuff down, get a pen and paper, go old fashioned, write it down 
commit words to paper because words are really powerful and write the things down that you are that you know inherently that you're good at i'm good at using my voice i'm good at using my facial expressions um, i'm very good at remembering and learning choreography or i'm great at cueing or pre-cueing i'm good at keeping everybody on the beat. And what you'll find is, is that the things that you write down and you write down within, say, the first three minutes, inside the first 60 seconds of those three minutes are your absolute strengths. The first things you write down, the first things that come to your mind are your strengths. And towards the bottom part of your list are probably the things that you shy away from, not that you don't do, but shy away from. And the things at the very bottom of the list, I, when you have to sit there and think to yourself, Hmm, what else? What else? Oh, yeah, that other thing you'll find are probably the things that you very rarely do, but you know that you should be doing. That's just a very easy, user friendly um, way of being able to find out from top to bottom. Yeah. And how often would you say you, you personally would go onto that bottom of the list and practice those, work on those? And do you, how do you know, like, when to push forward and when to pull back in that learning? Sure. And so after doing that for many years, I've managed to get that list, not necessarily from top to bottom. I've now got that list more lateral. And so it's all, I've tried to get as many of those things on what I would consider as on, on that same line. So that if I was to pull from them, I know that that is quite a high level strength. Um, and to be able to build into that and how often one would need to work on that, I would say identify it first and then work on that as much as you can next to a strength. You understand that? Yeah, I love that. Tell me yeah. more. And, and so if, let, okay, so let, we'll go back to technicality. Somebody is technically really strong. So whether the, whether it's with a barbell, whether it's punching, kicking, whether it's Lesmos core, whether it's body step, body step, whatever it might be, maybe it's a yoga pose that technically and physically they know they are really strong and they can coach to that, to the strength of it. But what they, what one of their weaknesses is that they don't talk a lot about feelings. And so what one can do is that they can talk to what they are feeling themselves right there and then. And so let's say I was doing a yoga pose, by the way, this is not one of my strengths, but if I was doing say a warrior pose, I would then talk to what I was feeling right there and then. And so I'm feeling really grounded and strong through the bottom of my feet as I'm driving them into the ground. And right now I'm actually starting to feel a little bit of shaking in the front part of my leg to the outer section of my knee. I'm feeling that outer part of the quadricep is taking a lot of the load now. That's, a, that's signifying that I'm starting to push a little bit more weight to the outer part of my foot. And so I now want to try and get more of the feeling sensation through the whole part of the foot. And so I get more of a global feeling. So it's not just a one part of my leg. Let me shift the energy so I can get it to the center of the leg the inner part of the leg, the glutes, and then I can sink lower. I know with that feeling, if I just readjust my foot, I can hold the pose for a little bit longer and I will get stronger. And so I can speak to what I am personally feeling mm -hmm. because 
maybe when I talk about feelings, it might be a weak point for me. So if I start talking about what I'm feeling, other people in the room could actually be feeling that same, that same sensation. Then that feeling language can actually become part of your strength, i.e. you might then start saying, for this next warrior pose, let's focus on feeling that. So when we get to that point in the track, let's ensure that that feeling is the thing that makes us feel the most grounded. And all of a sudden, your words actually are intertwined with your strength. And I say link it with a strength rather than park it over here, because what will happen is, is if you, if you, when I say park it over here, I mean, if it's at the bottom of the list or it's at the end of the list or it's a part of the list where you go, mm, I'm not really happy about doing that. If you only do that on its own, it may not have the substance needed to land. And that's what I've referred to trial and error. Like I have spent many, many times in classes just going to that part of my list and then just saying it or doing it or trying it. And people literally have looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> Oh, no. And it has made me feel really uncomfortable and it's actually made me question, am I even any good at this? And so once I sort of, it occurred to me, let me link it with something that I am good at, then in actual fact, it, it, this, the synergy of it being so far apart, it gets closer and closer and closer until intrinsically it becomes a part of my standard dialogue. Now, if you do that in multiple facets through what you would consider yourself as being fairly strong at and not so strong at and you and you grade them say one I'm really strong at and ten I'm not so then if one and if one if say something like let's try two and eight together or let's try one and nine together or let's try four and ten together like it doesn't need to be one and ten two and nine etc you know you can you can start changing up where the strength and weaknesses are until the point where you might start using a tool where you're not very good at that and you're not very good at this, but you're not bad at that and you're not bad at this. And you and you partner them together and you start working on that as a skill set. And so the jump isn't so great and therefore the gap isn't so far and therefore how it's landing isn't going to be so, Off. well, you're an idiot, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, something else that at least I thought when you were saying to pair it with a strength I feel like I am a recovering perfectionist, if you will. Mm -hmm. I feel like if I hyper-focus on a weakness, I'm like, I will annihilate this weakness until I am the best. But then I start to see that strength totally decline. Or something else that I think is a good thing when you pair them too, is that because you're, you have that strength, that thing that you're less good at, I think it kind of balances it even like emotionally for you to be like, okay, so I'm not perfect at either of these, but I'm really strong at one. And so if I have a hard day with this one, I'm not as good at, I can still rely on the fact I'm still good at this. Like I, I see that benefiting in so many different ways across the board, pairing a weakness mm. with a strength. So I love that advice. And I think it helps us again, refine everything synergetically, if that's a word. Mm -hmm. um instead of just you know focusing on the one and then letting everything else kind of go kaput if it needs to <laughs> in that yeah, way does that make sense yeah well you've just highlighted an ebb and flow 
that a seasoned presenter will go through in the lead up to becoming on a masterclass filming. So the presenter, they get off the plane, they get into the hotel, they meet us for the rehearsals and they do that day after day after day until we step up on the stage and we do our masterclass filming. And they are excellent presenters. They have very high level strengths. Yeah. Um, they're, they're very seasoned in what they do, right? And yet at about day three, they hit a wall. They hit a hurdle. They hit a closed door and they bang their head against the door. And I see it in them all the time. And it doesn't matter how many years they've been teaching. There is going to be a point that when you're under the microscope and you're really starting to peel back the layers, there is a point where you feel like I can't even teach. I can't even teach. I've got all these years in my back pocket and I've got up on stage. My choreography didn't come out right. My words, I was overthinking. I was over. And it's because there is going to be a part where you've identified something that you want to work on and you put a bunch of energy into it that for a, for a moment in time where you would naturally switch, a, um, a flick a switch into those things that you normally would rely on, all of a sudden they're on pause because you've got so much engagement, so much focus on that other thing that often you might come out of a class and go, that thing that I tried to work on, it didn't work and I couldn't do my other thing. And now I'm not very good anymore. And which results in when somebody says, hey, how was your class tonight? And, and it sounds a little bit like this. I taught a really average class. I don't know what it was. It was just, and it's because you were so geared up and focused on something that your mind wasn't, in, wasn't prepared to be able to go flick a switch to the other thing and fall back on. But if you go, if you were in that moment of being able to, it's okay, if I mess up, trial and error, I'm going to flick the switch, I'm going to flick the switch. But the camera's on you. Mm-hmm. You've got people standing at the back of the room with a pen and paper assessing you, quality controlling you. Wow. You know that as soon as you get off stage, somebody's going to give you feedback. And so there's a lot of nerves going on. And sometimes it overtakes the moment because there's a, there is another newness. And so as much as you have taught, and that you have the ability to be able to command your space and bring the roof down, how often are you put in a position where there are lots of eyes watching you and assessing you to ensure the quality of control of the things that you're saying is something that can go out globally? You know, and so there is this huge amount of nervous energy. And so it's environmental and it's circumstantial. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, so moving in that ebb and flow of like, ah, and then I just forgotten my strength. It happens to everybody. And it's a good thing that that happens mm-hmm. because it's another opportunity for trial and error for you to write and commit that down to paper. You know, it's an experience. We have to have those experiences because without those experiences, there isn't an opportunity to learn. Absolutely. It's okay to mess up is really what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it can be kind of a rude teacher sometimes, like as you're talking about like, having all this mess up experience. I'm, I was, I'm reflecting on this class I taught last week when I was so focused on this one thing that I felt like the whole rest of the class like was a blur. I'm like, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. It was not very good. <laughs> but yeah. knowing that really helped me motivate or helped motivate after I felt my feelings, this, this deep intention that I went into my class this morning, feeling like, 
last week is coming on and I know where I was focused and I was very distracted by this one thing. Let's tap back into this, into the feeling, into what I know, into where I'm strong, knowing what I did before, how can I take that and improve today's class? And I came home this morning and I told my husband, I'm like, that was the best class I think I've ever taught in my whole life. The mm-hmm. best. But I th- it's true. I think we need those failing experiences. We need that trial and error. We need those trying moments that really push us to find out what our strengths and weaknesses are. And we also need the grace for ourselves to know that we are still learning and that's completely expected. We are not meant to be superhuman we are meant to just continue to learn. And I think that also demonstrates to our students that when we mess up, they can too. And then we just pick up ourselves up and we learn and grow together. Absolutely. And we'll always have new people coming to our class. Yeah. You know, and so there's, there will always be. <laughs> there are so uh, many new people in my bad class. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. And, and It's cool. And look, it's here's, here's, here's a good opportunity <laughs> to say it now, right? You know, and so as we, and each country is different, but as sort of COVID is started, you know, as gyms are starting to open up and people are getting back out, you know, a, a lot of people, they've not, they've, where they were in this environment, they haven't been in the environment for a long time or people are starting to step into this environment of the gym in the gym scene and group fitness. So we will always have new people. There are, that is the big, biggest audience. There are more new people out there that haven't tried group fitness than there are people that are doing group fitness. Right. Absolutely. And so, and, and we will always find ourselves in a situation, no matter where we teach from, there's always going to be somebody on the other side of that receiving that information. And so as much as we have trial and error as well, we've got to we've got to celebrate our wins, even if they're small wins, because those small wins multiplied into big wins, they just do remind us that we are really passionate and we love what we do. You know, I have this saying, and it's the Dan Cohen's three phases of being a teacher. Would you like to hear it? Absolutely, please. <laughs> so um, phase one is what I call Care Bear. Now, I don't know. Um, so cute. The cartoons. Yeah, remember Care Bear? Yeah. No, not, not every country had it. So the Care Bear, the Care Bear stare. This is where you just want to shine the center your of your body. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you get that corner Friday night and we say, hey, Eddie, so um, look, we need this class covered. It's Friday night. Do you think you can come and teach? We'll pay you 30, 30 bucks. But you've just certified, you're just qualified, and you'll say yes to anything. Yeah, sure. Where is it? It's 70 miles, 70 kilometers from my house. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay i'll be there what time oh it's friday night it's 7 p.m uh, yeah i'll be there you know you'll say yes everything is care bear stare phase two the pilot phase cruising at thirty-five thousand feet you've got about 10 12 classes a week in your back pocket pretty pretty cool deal it's a good job you get the phone call friday night hey i'd love for you to come and teach this class where is it how much are you paying what class do you need me to come now nah, i'm okay but hey, but thanks for thinking of me. I really appreciate it. You're just cruising along. Phase three, burnt toast. You're just, you're, you're, you're just rough charged. around the edges. Yeah, you're <laughs> in charge. You're, you're rough around the edges. You're fed up. You don't like certain people that come to your class. You have an, an opinion and there's judgment around that. And often what happens is, is that um, I like to go I like to go into these conversations and I like to go into clubs and I like to coach and inspire people that if you are in a certain phase of these three phases, 
how do we drop back a phase? And so if you're in the burnt toast phase, it's all good because you've got a huge amount of experience and wealth and knowledge. It's just that there's obviously a, a, there's a light that isn't shining as much. The passion isn't shining as much. And so what can we do to turn that light back on and to get the passion going? And so is it, is it because it's an environment? Or is it because it's a program? Is it something you want to change the direction of how you teach or how you show up? You know, whatever that is, that's all good, but we just need to be able to do it. We need to do it right now because other people are being affected because we keep having new people to the door. Likewise, if you're in the pilot phase and you're just cruising along, that's all good, but is it the best version of yourself? Right. So yes, there's naivety inside the Care Bear that says yes to anything, but also Care Bears, they're not afraid to do their Care Bear stare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if you, and so it doesn't matter where you are in the phase, as long as you can access the wisdom as long as you can access everything's going quite well right now, I'm not going to try anything too creative. I'm just going to cruise along because I know that's working. I.e., I'm in the middle of the track, I'm in the middle of the class, or I'm in the middle of like a, a challenge that's going on. Hold course. Or do I need to drop back and go, all right, everybody, this is going to be the best thing we're ever going to experience together. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So assess where you are so when you write down your strengths at the top of that page in the first 60 seconds you know what your strengths are in that three minute um little drill also highlight that when you write certain words you can put next to it the letter c for care bear the letter p for pilot or the letter b for burnt toast you know <laughs> and then and look at that and really and, and reflect on that and think okay if I am burnt toast on a certain certain part of this list, how do I bring it back to pilot phase? How do I then ultimately bring it back to the care bear phase? Yeah, I love I love the illustrations because I'm a huge care bear fan. But then also I think it paints so beautifully the different phases that every every instructor goes through. I feel like I've hit every single every single stage that you illustrated. And being able to tap back into the passion, the drive, the excitement, but then, like you said, pulling from the wisdom, pulling from the strengths that we've already and skills that we worked already so we can just cruise on them. I love that. Okay. So I know that you are extremely busy. And again, I just am so thankful. I like cannot emphasize how much of a big deal this was for me to be able to just learn from you. Um, but what is something like, what are your final words? If you could speak to whether it is young Dan, whether it's baby Andy, myself, <laughs> or any brand new instructor, or even a long time veteran instructor who maybe just kind of needs that light ignited, where would you, what would you tell them? What is your final word for them? Sure. Okay. Um, perseverance and commitment and if you marry those two together the results that you want for yourself and other people will come um, to light when you persevere with something even if you persevere with something that may feel a little bit strange but you commit to that perseverance from a place of passion and excitement from a place of care and support love you will get the result that you want and if you struggle along the way and you question yourself, you're probably doing the right thing. You know, as you know, we've all heard it before, anything that's worth it isn't easy. You're supposed to enjoy it, but there is going to be some struggle because you're such a perfectionist. 
upon yourself and because you know that you want the best outcome for other people. And when you commit to that perseverance, those good things will happen. I love that. Oh, Mr. Dan Cohen, <laughs> I'm like so many. Um, I would love to invite all my listeners to follow you. How can people follow your, your family, your journey, your career and learn more from you? Tell us where to find you. Sure. Um, at official Dan Cohen, uh, all one word, join it all together. That's on Instagram. And I just started a TikTok page. Would you believe? That's a big deal. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we just recently launched our virtual reality fitness app. That's the Quest headset. Yeah, the little Oculus app. thing. That's the one. Very yeah. cool. Um, and so I'm uploading. So I'm really using TikTok as a platform for for that that's how to really get the most out of the game to understand the fitness app and then my instagram page is everything dan cohen and so i think that that page should really be dedicated to my children because that, that seems to be the thing that's <laughs> that's um that's really taking that but look you know if any of your listeners feel free you want if you want any more information you can dm me uh, we can set up conversations i do a lot i do a whole bunch of coaching as well and i can take you through packages so yeah that's Thanks so much for the opportunity for this. And, um, and thank you for giving up your time. And I know that you have your little one, you got your little <laughs> one there as well. And yeah, you know, being a parent myself, I know that we do what we can in and around our children's routine. So yeah, good on you. Thank you. No, she completely understood. As soon as I said your name, she was like, mm. you know, <laughs> but thank you again so much. And for all our listeners, I will see you on the next one.